0: Hi, this is Kathy Valentine, and you're listening to Song Chronicles with Louise Goffin.
1: I'm so glad to be able to present to you the first Song Chronicles during Sheltering at Home with Kathy Valentine. Kathy's memoir titled All I Ever Wanted is an inspiring and honestly told story. She's found her way to discover her own voice as both a writer of prose and a lead vocalist and multi-instrumentalist on her own songs, which she's used to create a fantastic soundtrack to her book. She tells her story without affectations. I loved phrases like the bottle of liquid forget and vitamin fuck everyone who told us no. Song Chronicles is proud to present Kathy Valentine. I'm in Los Angeles. I'm here with Kathy Valentine, who is in Austin. We've been friends for a while, but recently I had the pleasure of audio listening to your book and I just enjoyed it so much. It was just so honest. And what I loved particularly about it is you didn't try to do it in a writerly way. You spoke the way you spoke. You know, it felt like you talking and the fact that you were reading it as well really, made me feel privileged and honored to be hearing your story. Tell me about how long it took and all the things that you had to go through to recount and recall with such detail everything that happened over all those years.
0: Sure. Well, going back to the pre-writing of the book, it was something I had wanted to do. I had been wanting to write. I felt felt fairly confident in my abilities as a writer because I've been going to college classes and, you know, was in a few re- creative writing courses and had written some short stories. And I, I really had the desire, but most of my reading has always been like classic literature and it kind of made me afraid. I'm, I'll never be as good as, you know, it's, it's a hard, it's a if you read classic literature and want to be a writer, it's not the best thing to do. So when I started reading a few other memoirs, I was like, oh, okay, i got a story to tell too. So there's just several uh, factors that kind of made me go, okay, I think I can do this. I want to do this. I talked to a friend of mine, uh, put me in touch with their agent in New York and I called them, I was all excited. And then the agent said, unless you're going to write a a tell all about the Go-Go's and really spill the dirt, you're never going to get a book deal. And I, I said, okay, well, that's not the book I want to write. So I kind of shelved it to be honest and would, you know, write little essays here and there. But I was really grateful when University of Texas press approached me and they're a very cool classy little imprint it's a nonprofit but they've been putting out a series of really interesting music books and memoirs so one of my favorites was Kristen Hirsch about Vic chestnut um, called don't suck don't die and it, I was really thrilled because they also said you're you can write whatever you want you know they weren't sure I could write I think they kind of thought maybe we'll pair her up with a ghostwriter, but as soon as I started turning in a few pages, the deal was pretty much sealed. So that was the whole getting the book deal, which I really needed a book deal. I wasn't sure I was gonna have the discipline and make the time to sit down and write a book on my own. I had a a half-baked plan that I would get an English degree and go into an MFA program and that that would, as an assignment, I would write a book. But having a book deal was a great assignment, and I sat down and and immediately was um, confronted with some uh, well, what they call the three P's. I, I was the perfectionism, the procrastination, and the paralysis were were big factors in the first year or so that I had to uh, overcome and uh, learn how to make my process by skirting around those things or dealing with them the first seven or eight months I realized I just kept rewriting three chapters over and over just making it perfect making oh it's not good enough and then kind of realized oh you're not going to finish this book for a decade if this is the way you're going to do it and then of course the procrastinating which I learned how to make into a productive thing I was like uh like just kind of feeling that resistance, you know, which I think as artists, we all are very familiar to the that kind of conundrum of resistance. You want to create, you're driven to create, but it seems like there's always this, this uh, wall that you kind of have to either hit your head against or chip away at before the, the path is there. But my procrastination became very productive. I, I did a lot of research. When I couldn't make myself sit down and write, And the first thing I did was put together a playlist for each year Um, because my book I decided was going to go from 1970 to 1990. I wasn't writing an autobiography of, you know, my entire life. It's a memoir. It is a slice of life. I wanted a story arc where I started out one way and ended up very different and hopefully had... Obstacles and things to overcome on the way that's that's classic storytelling and that's what I wanted to adhere to and The playlist for each year I would go back and not only the what I was hearing on the radio But what soundtracks to films I might have seen Across all the charts. Thank goodness for the internet because I could look up, you know, what was the top 40? What was on the FM stations? What albums were released that year and it was amazing how that playlist for each year put me back exactly in that time and also helped give me a chronology that I could make sure that I was being accurate. So that was one huge thing. I also luckily had kept, I still have it somewhere. I, I have a, I found all my um, filofaxes and you know, those little day planners we used to all carry around before we had telephones. So I had all of those and I had done, A really good job of just kind of scribbling down little notes daily or sticking my backstage pass from a concert I'd been at on that day or on that week. So I had a a really cool record. I had probably six to 10 books that I used. I had sporadic journals that I would write, keep a journal very religiously for two or three weeks and then not write in for two months. And then two. So I had that. And I also had every bit of press that we'd ever done. We, the go-go's always had publicists and I didn't need the press for my adolescent years, obviously, but for the go-go stuff, it was helpful. So I had a lot to draw on every now and then I would call someone that I was, was with and just make, say, Hey, what do you remember about this? You were with me. What do you remember? And, And then I just got down to it. And I, my process was very much as a, as a mom, Kind of, I don't. I don't like to say single mom because I don't want to dismiss what my daughter's dad is in her life. He's a very big part of her life. But the day-to-day stuff was generally my doing, and um, so there's, there's that's a big part of your day and keeping on top of life. Um, so I got to the, and you'd always, I would read these things like, oh, you've got to carve out from nothing stops you from eight to twelve. That's that wasn't how I did it. If I had 20 minutes, I sat down and wrote something. If I had 30 minutes later, I just I just sat down whenever I had a little gap. And if I got two or three lines done, good. So that was kind of the process. And, and uh, I was really, really, I have to say, I did want to give up a few times. There was a few times I did want to give up. I didn't think I could do it. But when I turned that book in, um, About a year, well, over a year ago. trying to remember. I guess it was a year and a half ago. It was a long, a long lag time between turning a book in and when it goes to print. It was probably the most proud I'd ever been of anything.
1: That's beautiful. There's a whole other dimension to your book as well, which is there's music uh, throughout. An entire song, sometimes smaller, shorter snippets, but mostly song length. And it's amazing music. It is just great music. It has such a sound. It feels so much like you. And you, you tell me that it, it is on a separate playlist. Like you can just hear the music after you've heard the book, with the music interspersed,
0: right? The the soundtrack. Um, I I decided to write a soundtrack because number one, music and songwriting is how I've always dealt with what's happening in my world externally, internally. It's become a a form of therapy for me for a very long time. I think I write in my book about the first time writing a song helped me get out of a a difficult spot. It was Can't Stop the World. And I was in LA and I was very lonely and very abandoned and, and broke. And it was the first time I'd written a song that just helped me deal and process with what I was going through. And from pretty much from that moment on, unless I was writing specifically, you know, for an album or something, when I wrote for myself, it was to, it was therapy, song therapy. So um, I didn't feel when I finished the book, I didn't feel quite done with it. I felt like I had dived so deep and gone so gotten so personal and processed so much and felt so much and gotten in touch with, and, I, I just thought, I can't leave songwriting out of this. Um, and then on the on the other side of it was, I thought I'm not the the spotlight member, you know, the bass player pretty much never is in a band uh, that has a lead singer and and front people and stuff. So I felt like it was another way to kind of put a stamp on it that made it a little bit special. There was that aspect and but mainly, I just wanted to go there, and I, I really loved doing the soundtrack. And so, not only is it a part of the audiobook, but it's also a standalone record. I think it's very different than what most people would think of as a solo album. It basically is a solo album, but because it's a companion to a book, I thought of it as like scoring a film. I felt like I was scoring a book, and I tried to capture musically the feeling. Of the era or what I had gone through in that chapter uh, the chapters have a corresponding song not all of them I think I just whatever's chapter oh that sounds like a song title that was a lot going on that think that could be a song so I kind of just I didn't have a big plan I just would kind of look at it and go hmm Clubland that's the chapter about me hitting all the clubs getting a big music education in Austin Texas and then I'd be like That was 1973, you know, um, I want to sound 70s on that song. So I didn't use an amp and I got this kind of very clean guitar sound and it affected the next thing I know, I'm just trying to, it's just sounding very 70s. So I had a blast. I never knew what I was going to do. I would sit down sometimes with just a beat, sometimes with a guitar riff. And what I really liked was that I could utilize all the elements of songwriting that I love you know which is hooks melodies um hooks in the form of vocal hooks or guitar hooks or bass lines um i could you utilize you know my musicianship across the board i played everything but i could also throw all the rules out i didn't i could start out just and i didn't read straight from the book what i would do is i would take texts sometimes and then redo it in a more rhythmic or a more lyrical way, and I don't mean I was trying to you know be you know kathy Valentine hip hop artist, but I was very influenced by the freedom that that you know the hip hop genre has brought to delivering text de- delivering content so mm-hmm. I had a whole book to draw from, and I would re redo it and just take a section and I might start like that, and then I might go into a chorus basically. I didn't have to fit the the confines or structures of standard songwriting, which was so wonderful and freeing.
1: We really don't have to fit the confines of anything when we're making art. And things have changed so much. And and you and I both came up in a time where it all had to go through gatekeepers for anything to ever happen. And we were always trying to zip ourselves into something that would fit through the door. And it's so liberating to know that all the faculties that you had, I mean, I didn't know that you played all the instruments on it. That's fantastic that you got to do that. And the publication told you you could write whatever you want you didn't have to write a tell-all.
0: It's a lot like as artists I think and songwriters for sure and as musicians we learn especially if if you're worth anything as as a musician or a songwriter you learn that the key thing is what you're going to leave in and what you're going to take out Mm -hmm. and lots of times we've had to cut out our favorite verse or our favorite line of a song and having that experience for decades of song really helped me as a writer, as a first-time writer. I was very familiar with how crucial that was. And it's it's that's what makes you, that's who you are as an artist, is what your choices are, what your judgment is, where, you know, I want to reveal this, so I'm going to reveal this. Do I want to reveal that too? Have I crossed the line into being honest and open to bleeding gaping open wound you know it's like so you become like very um that because that's your style that's what makes your style so yeah it's it was it was good to be able to blend i love the intersection of storytelling with the songs Mm -hmm. and the the book
1: there are so many things i can bring up about it i'm just going to jump to one thing i'll probably jump around but the story you told about the traumatic break-in in the Hollywood Hills, which I had heard about years ago, I found it so extraordinary that somehow within yourself in that stressful situation, that you had this intuitive survival instinct to try to humanize yourself to the intruder, that somehow your protection was tied into letting that person see that you were a person and not just a blank face of of a victim and and it seems like that attitude plus your sheer focus on any way out of that situation saved you and all your friends
0: yeah, that was a fascinating chapter to write because it's something that happened, and the trauma of it took a very long time the PTSD to, to um, subside and it it morphed into' it was like so often when you survive something just a good story to tell somebody so to to go back and, and revisit it and and uh, really get those feelings on the page but it's just a very interesting thing how I, I never really understood how difficult it is to if you are being uh, poached by a predator and you are with other people, you all have to to overpower the predator, you all have to be on the same page and everybody doesn't have the same instincts, you know? And it fascinated me to to think about how we are just ingrained, we're ingrained to, to be good, be good and you'll be rewarded, be bad and you'll be punished. That's like something we do as parents to our kids, when you're good, you're and so that training, comes up when you're in that situation. You're really struggling because your your instinct is fight or flight. Just, you know, I, I'm going to die. I don't want to die. I, I got to stop this person from killing me. But then the person is telling you what to do and giving you orders in a very authoritarian way. That's the situation I was in. And that training comes up like, okay, I better do what he says. I better be still. I better be quiet. I better let him just do his thing. And may, maybe, I'll get the reward, I get to live. So you have this conflict, the conflict was enormous and no backup from my other terrified friends. So that became, that became my driving thing was tell jokes, talk to him, make him see my face. Uh, it was sheer, sheer survival instinct. And I think I wrote about how I, I spoke to the police after. And I said, I kept talking to him. I kept talking to him. And the policeman just looked at me and he said, you're alive. You did the right thing.
1: Yeah, you sure did. It's, a, it's It was an amazing story. And uh, the whole phase of when the Go-Go's were going to work with Mike Chapman, I feel in a sense that there were just two worlds colliding at that moment like the, there was the world of pre-recovery for you when i say recovery you know if people are listening and they haven't read the book we're talking about you know recovery from drinking and partying and into a sober lifestyle and healing emotional wounds rather than um drowning them in in activities and and drinking but the, the collision of those worlds and the way that you described it was so beautiful because you very much showed what it was like from Kathy then, you know, where your whole focus was everything go goes. Like, this is the band of my dreams. We have to keep going. We're going to make another record. It's going to be awesome. And and then these other members, Charlotte and Belinda, just—I guess Jane too, right? Um,
0: Jane was out of the band; she had quit.
1: Oh, okay. But Belinda and Charlotte were just ready to move on to a new phase. And they always say that shock is—is is when your sense of reality collides with real reality. <laughs> you know, that's when people get dumbfounded with you know this feeling of betrayal but really it's the uh it's the fantasy reality that's the betrayal not the real one and the way you describe your perception coming into that and the shock and then later looking back on that situation from the other side what it looked like from the reality of recovery was just amazing because you painted two different very fully described Mm -hmm. um ways of expressing the exact same moment in time you know here's what it looked like from my point of view when i was there and here's what it looked like later when i had growth and recovery and saw that situation from a different point of view and that that's a beautiful thing to be able to to frame life's experiences with meaning like that
0: and that's that's what uh one of the things I love about memoir writing as opposed to uh autobiographical writing is more of a feels like a, a, a litany of kind of what happened and getting everything straight and memoir is really you get to not only try to The goal is to get on the page what it felt like and and have the reader know exactly what it felt like but to relate it to something they have felt too that's my that was my goal uh, to connect as a writer to a reader but in memoir writing you also get the uh the other lens of reflection and insight that you didn't have at that time and that's why it's such a, a a wonderful genre and why i'm really drawn to hopefully starting another memoir and writing another one because it's another very different journey after that book ends and um you know a whole different story but yeah i i loved i loved being able to get that on the page and i loved that charlotte read it you know it's like in so many ways the the book could explain to my bandmates so many things that maybe they didn't know about me or understand about me or where i was operating from and when when the band before we broke up you know i i must have been a terrible bandmate you know because i was operating from two driving motivational forces which were desperation and fear and i could not fathom it was all wrapped up in a a superficial like who would be dumb enough to let go of this one in a million gets to this point that was the 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 outward thing that i believed and put out but inside it was it was pure desperation and fear because this band even more than being the culmination of my dreams and being a great fun job it was the manifestation of what had been embedded in me from the time I was a child, which was that no one was going to take care of me. No one. It was my job, my job alone to take care of myself. And the Go-Go's had given me the vehicle to be able to do that. And by that time, not only was I taking care of me, I was taking care of my mom. I was like the parent. So I had, I was a care, I was taking, I was responsible and I had, I had the means to do that. I had the means to pay my bills and to put food on my table. And to, and there wasn't, as far as I knew, that was all, that's all I had done. You know, I hadn't had a day job since I was uh, 21 years old. And of course that was a few years ago. <laughs> oh my God, I hadn't worked a day job in five years. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it was like, and when I look back now, I'm like, God, who wants to be in a, you know, being in a band is supposed to be fun. You know, it's supposed to be joyful. Uh, yeah, it's hard work and stuff, but you know, it had really stopped being fun. And it was hard for me to, to accept that one of the reasons it had stopped being fun is because for my part, I was, I was desperate and afraid to keep it. Don't take this away. Anything that threatened that band was a threat to me. And, uh, it couldn't have been pleasant you know to have to have me operating from that place before that that was not the person that anyone and you know and i'm telling my story charlotte had a whole different thing going on you know she she was sober after struggling with a heroin addiction for years and years and um the the band threatened every, so she had a very every one of the things i realized was everybody was coming from very different places pretty much all the time. Even when we were successful, the agendas were very different. You know, one person might, uh, you know, want to be a star, whatever it takes, you know, one person, and I'm not, I'm not labeling anybody. I'm just saying yeah. giving ideas and and analogies and one other one person might have always craved One person might just be a creative person that wants to just create and you know People come in I I had so many different factors than other people You know, I had a longing to belong to to feel like I was in a family Uh, I I felt like I had a family for the first time. I had sisters for the first time. I was a very lonely person growing up. I was an only child. I was left to my own, left on my own. Uh, I was a fantasy addict and a reader. I was always in another world because I was on my own all the time. My mom lived around the university when she was a student. Uh, nobody else that she was friends with had kids. So um, that feeling of being a part of a family and having sisters was huge to me, whereas it wasn't to somebody else that grew up in a family of, you know, sisters and brothers so we all had that was an interesting thing to understand
1: that is interesting. Even though at the time you wanted the band to go on longer, it's amazing with all those different agendas and personalities that you were able to keep it together and achieve what you did.
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, the the bond of it, you know, on top of or in addition to all the the negative stuff that you hear about and that happens to every band, whether it's uh, financial disparity or egos or you know, someone getting more attention. You know, it, it hurt me when when I didn't ever get credit for being a songwriter. That hurt, but it wasn't that I didn't. I loved the songwriting that Charlotte and Jane did. It wasn't like I was jealous. It wasn't like I was resentful. It just hurt to not have that recognition. So um, it hurt not to be recognized as the for my musicianship. You know, I felt like. I brought a lot musically. So I'm carrying that through it, but there's that negativity. There's there's financial disparity, which wasn't a big issue for me, but for some people it was. There was the exhaustion and the hurt and the drugs and being immature. We were very immature people. Uh I was probably more so than anybody, you know. I just I just went wild for for this time. It was like Woo! I'm a rock star. Uh, I'm making money. Uh, you know, was, I was just—I don't need to grow up. And I was also enjoying an adolescence that I had never gotten to enjoy. My adolescence was marked with pregnancy and rape and sex and drugs and and uh, no guidance and no parenting and being basically out in the world trying to figure shit out on my own. And um, in the Go Go's, I got to have a more carefree type of adolescence. It felt like slumber party and birthday parties and hanging out with your girlfriends all the things that maybe a more wholesome kid gets i don't know so uh, it it had a lot of emotional baggage Mm -hmm. you know for me Mm -hmm.
1: and then recently i guess just over a year ago i saw you play with the go-go's with the la philharmonic at the hollywood bowl so it hasn't completely stopped
0: no um that one of the things that's really remarkable about this band is the the strength of of the bonds that we have and there is a chemistry that we're when we are all together that just whether it's muscle memory or just an organic thing i don't know but it's just it's just ignited as soon as we are together Uh, that remains the experience of what we went through as young women, 22, 23 years old, of going from clubs to headlining arenas to um, having hit songs and having people love what we were creating and what we were making and what we were performing. That that was a, a, an exhilarating, wild experience. And the bond of going through it with four other people is, is it's, it's amazingly strong. But i mean it's so strong that it has it is endured despite really horrible things i mean i was fired from this band uh other people have been on the hot seat there's been we've done entire we did an entire tour once where there was two versus three and the two were pretty much in another vehicle like it it was like and that was one tour it wasn't like forever like the Ramones or something but it was an entire tour where two people were on the outs from the other three so factions um, uh, lawsuits I mean there's been really ugly negative bad things and yet somehow we get together the cynic would say oh they just they hate each other but they get back together to make money. Well, that's actually not true. We don't hate each other. And, you know, our lead singer, Belinda, the the last thing she ever needs to do is a go-go's tour. She's financially, she does not need to do it. As far as I know, nobody really needs to do it. It's always, I'm not gonna lie, it's always welcome to get a paycheck for for playing rock and roll. But that isn't the the that isn't what brings us back together. You know, it's it's there's a bond that just kind of keeps sustaining And uh, I'm really grateful for it. I think we have all come to a place where we're a little bit, uh, we cherish it.
1: Yeah, it's a little like after getting divorced and all, you know, the bad blood is in the past and you have a kid, you recognize that you made something together that's beautiful, that you love more than you feel negativity Uh, you know the negativity goes just it just flows down you know it goes downstream
0: it's a perfect analogy it really is it's it's exactly like that it's like what what you created and and what you did together is has it just it has more weight it's it's more enduring than negativity unless you're one of the poor people in life that can't let go of negativity and we all know those but luckily in our band we seem to be able to heal a little bit more and forgive a little bit more every year it's still going on it's still it's still ongoing
1: yeah um can you talk a little bit about just you know the records the go-go's broke in terms of being an all female band and and also not just that part of it but the trajectory of how one of the things you bring up in your book is interesting how it wasn't long before people in the press and the media would make you out to be, you know, these trampy girls and and would really be dishonoring of the achievements as strong, empowered women expressing themselves in their own way, which doesn't happen with male bands. Can you talk a bit about that?
0: I think you're talking about like in the the aftermath of our success because while we were successful we were apportioned another label which was the Girl Next Door or America's Sweethearts and that was while we were successful. Um, It it really felt I I think it's loosened up somewhat but I felt like back then the archetypes and stereotypes for women were fairly uh, limited. There was the You know, we, we didn't wear sexy clothes and we weren't real hyper-sexualized. So that took, we, we weren't the whore, you know, we, we didn't go up and act like men or we we weren't the, let's see what we weren't like the, the, the Madonna, the virgin, you know, the, there was just these certain, we weren't the mother, (laughs) you know, what were we? Oh, we must be the girl next door. So that didn't fit at all. We were just, we might've on a visual level been like that because we were fun outfits that we got at thrift stores and kind of just were ourselves, but uh, it was very superficial. It was a very superficial label, and when the truth, the so-called truth came out and behind the music was, you know, the TV show came out and the articles started coming out like, oh God, they did drugs and they did this and that then you're right it became more like oh they were these wild they were tricking everybody they really were wild women and it was just like you're right it's it's not like something that i think gets it might get talked about but it's more like a badge of pride you know with with the with the guy bands like it just feels like women i think when they are dealing in a patriarchal society that we do have to deal kind of constantly with a superficial uh package or label or box or however you want to put it so yeah i mean it would be nice to just have the I, one one of the things that i always say about the band it's number one it's a pretty spectacular and remarkable thing that we can go out on tour decades later and we don't have a big set production set, we don't have fireworks, we don't have costume changes, we don't have choreography, we don't, we barely have a backdrop. What you have is five women that are 60 plus playing a set of songs, a a 70 to 80 to 90 minute set of songs that are not, you know, blowing people away with this incredible virtuosity or Sound effects or anything. And I think it's really spectacular because I mean, I love going to concerts. I love the spectacle of, of a concert, especially what they've gone grown into, but that's not what we're about. And I think it's a, a remarkable and spectacular thing that we can go out and sell out, you know, decades after our hits, playing some good songs, a bunch of women just playing some good songs. It, it's, it's really, and that to me in and of itself is Something that's not very um, uh, common.
1: Yeah, everybody plays their parts and the parts are so well put together. That's one thing I always noticed about the Go-Go's is that Charlotte, she would come up with an amazing part. It's just the way that pop music really should be, which is part-oriented. It's not about how fast you can play or fancy you can play. It's really about how you can have an attitude and let the songs come across.
0: Yeah, it's really about um, what serves the song. I know that that's, you know, Gina and I were touted as the the most proficient musicians usually, uh, which is what you want in your rhythm section. You want some proficiency, but I know that we always approached every song with like what serves the song and Mm -hmm. it's a very song based band basically.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, well, first of all, where can people hear your audiobook and get the book? I know it's harder to get hard copies now because of the quarantine that we're in, um, and also hear the soundtrack.
0: Well, actually, the uh, there's I, I'm encouraging people to order from indie bookstores. There's quite a few indie bookstores across the country that are struggling and are really depending on mail orders to um, help sustain their business and they're actually shipping, because Amazon is trying to focus more on necessities. So, so I'm, I'm really encouraging people to support indie bookstores. Uh, there's a website called BookBookshop.org, and they get they support indie bookstores. So that's, you can get, and a lot of them have signed books. I signed thousands of books, and a lot of the smaller indie stores have those. I've heard people telling me they've been getting it from uh, curbside from Barnes and Noble. So it's available where, wherever you get a book and it's available on Amazon as well. But you can also get the, the ebook, the Kindle and the audio book is fantastic. And that's available from every all the usual places, um, Apple and Audible and uh, Google, I think. And uh, the soundtrack's available on all the digital platforms too. Apple Music, Spotify, Bandcamp, CD Baby, all of it. I think it's available on um, Amazon too. So yeah, just about anywhere you would look for a book, you can find mine and the soundtrack.
1: Thank you, that's wonderful. So Kathy, tell us all the things that you were gonna be doing right now that got canceled because of the quarantine.
0: Well, this was really exciting for me because One of the things I became aware of writing the book was that how I had kind of played it safe by being in a band and that's all I wanted to do. I wasn't, I never wanted to be the Mick Jagger or the front person or the star or have the spotlight. I didn't, that wasn't what I craved. I wanted to just be in a band. At the same time, looking back over my career, it it felt very safe. Like I'd never really put myself on the line. If somebody saw my band, nobody was ever gonna say, that is such a cool band, except for that Kathy Valentine chick, you know, that I was safe. I felt very protected getting to do what I loved without being, uh, criticized or judged, except for whether you're hot enough or not, which we all get as women. Anyway, that's besides the fact. Um, but the book, all of a sudden I'm like, okay, oh my God. I'm like, I am out front. I'm like shoved out in the spotlight without any clothes on practically writing a book. And, uh, I just decided to embrace it and become me at 61 years old, be me. And for the people that are interested in knowing more and finding out a little bit more and yet following the story, I can't even remember what I started this train of thought with. What you were going to be doing. Oh, that's what I was. So, Going out, so once I realized I had this book, and I was, and I thought I've got songs I can play, and I put together with my publisher an incredible book tour and uh, twenty-three cities. I mean, that's more touring than the Go Go's have done in years. So I was going to all these cities. I had a lot of uh, private engagements, speaking engagements that were paying very well. Uh, groups that were buying hundreds of books. Um, it was going to sell a lot of books. And it was really neat because I had women that had come in the generation after the Go-Go's like Kathleen Hanna and Kelly Deal and Tanya Donnelly were going to do appearances with me. I had really respected writers, like uh, music writers, like Anthony De Curtis and Ann Powers. And and. I was going to go out and be me, finally. It was like uh, really exciting stuff. And it's it all canceled. It's all gone. And the problem with the book is that in normal times, and I'm hoping some norms are going to be a little bit more flexible because we are in a pandemic. But in normal times, the six to eight weeks after a book release is kind of when the stuff happens. That's the momentum. So it's not like I can reschedule it all. All these bookstore events are things that people come to buy the book, listen to you talk, meet you, get it signed. Bookstores, if they are even in business after this pandemic, are not going to be wanting to fill up their store with a bunch of people that already have the book. So it's just a, a, a moment in time that won't come back. So, and it's hard. It's it's really hard. It, but luckily, you know, I'm a survivor and I'm persistent and you know, I might just have to write another book and try to hope it comes out without a pandemic <laughs> around it. And, um, you know, I like to say, remind myself that it's a book, it has a shelf life, it's not going anywhere, but the momentum might be, um, and as a specific length of time. I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, I'm thinking still I might have to rely more on the music to keep the book uh, going. Mm -hmm. Not that I want to do a one-woman show or anything, but if I could find some messaging points that that I can roll into like little events and go to, to different cities and do events where maybe I talk about the book some or themes in the book that are are message worthy that people might be interested in having a dialogue around and using the material, uh, the musical material, to help illustrate. I I still am very taken with this intersection of combining music and prose. And I want to write more. I want to do, I'd still love to do a second memoir. I'd love to do a collection of short stories that have a musical accompaniment. That interests me a lot. And I think as women, you know, as people as humans getting into your 60s that just feeling engaged and passionate and creative and motivated and interested it's just such a, it's a youthful feeling. And I think it's what it's that in of itself is also a wonderful message that, you know, being challenged and doing new things as you get into your sixties is such a, such a beautiful way to enter into that being in the world in a new way, because if you've been a parent or you've had your job that you've kind of retired out of, or whatever your circumstances are, I think a, a big percentage of humans have to, um, kind of find their place in the world again as, as um, they get older.
1: And it's a time also to be able to be more who you've always been without, you know, For me, it's, it's more about what you take away. It's always there, the the creativity and the desire to express. It's, it's always been there, but so much of our lives, we put dampers on it and allowed things to prevent it from fully expressing itself. So it's, it's a beautiful time. The, the true essence can, can come out. So having now acknowledge that, you know, we're in this new phase of existence with this quarantining and pandemic and that, you know, I'm sure there's some grief involved in letting go of those exciting things. Do you find that there are things coming to the surface now Bubbling up just in the quiet and the being at home, sheltering?
0: I find it's very much uh, a day by day thing. And it's very important to stay in. The, you know, I don't think any of us have ever been, well, maybe it's an illusion that we have any, feel like we have any certainty. You know, that's probably an illusion. But I think this has really brought home for me just how uncertain things are. And I really don't know what things are going to be like in a month next week next year i have no idea and it's just kind of forcing me to stay in the day and some one day i am very emotional and you know, filled with remorse and then filled with like berating myself or having not remorse, filled with uh, regret and sadness and, and grieving what could have been and that isn't. And then berating myself because I have it so good compared to people that have lost their entire livelihoods or their, their businesses or their health or their loved ones or their own lives. So it's like, you can't even like wallow. It's like, because... I always do that. I always look at the bigger picture and how much worse it could be. You know, even when people say, oh, your book, you went through so much. And you know, I'm like, what, what? I wasn't in foster care. I wasn't sexually abused. I wasn't, you know, there's so many, it could always be worse. And I, I think sobriety has kind of given me that mindset of gratitude, Um, but I think the thing, the biggest takeaway for me for this has just been, I have a 17-year-old daughter who was very, very social and very much into her friends, and I've really enjoyed having so much time together, you know, and really, really having some conversations I don't think we would have had. Uh, We were always close. We were always close, but when it's just the two of us, it's it's been a really special time. I'm, I'm grateful for it. I think I'll always remember, and you know, she'll be in college. She'll be, I assume she'll be going up to college in a year and a half and embarking on her life and her journey, which I will not be as present for. So I think I'm always going to look back on this. And I hope, you know, I really struggle with feeling like I'm not doing enough. I should start writing another book. I should just, I I, I am struggling with staying on top of everything. It's just, it, it is a struggle. It is a struggle, but there's, there's good things. Yeah. not too much quiet for me. It's, I've not felt real quiet or relaxed about it. I think there's too much anxiety and fear about it to, to work for me in that way.
1: Yeah. Understood. It is a challenging, difficult time with all the uncertainty well first of all it'll be delightful for people to be able to listen to you here with uh, the time you've taken and also they have the pleasure of being able to go listen to your book which between this interview and listening to your book that's a good 10 hours of companionship for people who are sheltering at home and uh yeah i would just recommend people go out and listen to the book, reading it's great, but I loved hearing you tell the story, and I loved hearing the the soundtrack alongside of it.
0: I've heard that, and I just want to, yeah, I just want to say that I'm grateful for you giving me a little signal boost here, and of course, I would have enjoyed just talking to you like we enjoy talking anyway, so this kind of made it even better to have a girlfriend time, too, so thank you for talking to me, and the generosity you have and your comments about my book and my writing and my music musically hearing that it's just it, it really makes my heart sing because you, I admire you so much musically and I think it's always when we get those uh when we get that feedback from the artists we admire it's 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 always a little bit more special
1: I so, really appreciate that well I'm just going to say this when you came to LA to do the Philharmonic and you Sent me a text and say, Oh, I'm having this little barbecue where I'm staying, and then I'm going to play you know, the Hollywood Bowl. And I, I mean, there's just been so many times where we've gotten together that you've been just the most down to earth, loving, kind, generous friend. And uh, it, it, was, it was crazy for me to hear all these stories of how you were in your early 20s because I don't know that version of you. My mother will sometimes say to me, you really turned out well. <laughs> and I'm not your mom, but I'll say it to you. Kathy, you really turned out well. <laughs>
0: oh, thank you. It's funny. I I, I found a friend um, on Facebook from when I was, he was when I was like 14, 15. And he wrote back, I said, what was I like to you? I don't, I'm not sure what it was like. And he said, you were the funniest person I'd ever known. And it was like, it was so weird because i thought i was you know i i just i and then i started to remember and he started telling me some of the things i had done that made that cracked him up and it's just weird to to get other people's impressions and you know i i did a lot of things that i regret as a younger person but it wasn't i think when people read my story and understand where i came from that I was kind of just doing the best I could, and I think a lot of people, that's pretty much what they're doing most of the time.
1: That is a good way to look at it. There's there's also another really sweet thing, which is I remember when you did the Hollywood Bowl show, you said, yeah, you can come backstage after, but you can't come before the show, and then I was sitting there, and I was texting you. Um, I, I don't remember if I came alone. I think I did, and I got a little lunch boxes that they give you when you come in, and I was eating food, and having a glass of wine and you just said, Come on, come on back right now. And then I came back and it was so sweet to see you and your daughter with you getting dressed. Like you're supposed to be this rock star and your your daughter is saying, Mom, that looks amazing. You look great in that and I I just love the interaction that it wasn't so much a rock star show, but it was a family show. Everybody was really there as family members. And I, I loved that. It was really endearing and wonderful.
0: Well, it was a very special show for me because I had not gotten to do it for a long time. And I was just like over the moon. But also Hollywood Bowl with Philharmonic. You know, I, I hadn't been playing a lot of big places. I was playing the Continental Club in Austin, Texas. So it was a little jarring, even though I have it in my experience. It had been a while but i'm so glad you were there to share that that night with me
1: thank you thank you for today this has been really great
0: okay i appreciate it take care kathy
1: i'm your host louise goffin and this is song chronicles If you've been enjoying these episodes, all of the podcast episodes are offered for free. If you could take the time to write a review on whatever you're listening to this on, be so greatly appreciated. Thank you so much. And you can follow Song Chronicles on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thank you.